Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone here today. Hopefully, y'all are enjoying the conversation and the burritos and coffee. Um, looking forward to our time together this morning. Uh, so, I want to begin by asking you a question. I want you to ponder back upon your life about when a person who you didn't like very much died. Really still alive. <laughs> oh, come on. Wow. <laughs> That's not saying anything but at all. You can't say something good. Can't he figure. hadn't figured that out. <laughs> you're alive. There you go. No, seriously, think about it. I mean, certainly, you know, maybe they, maybe you didn't consider them your enemy, but, you know, you just didn't like them very much. You got them in your head? So, uh, for me, um, her name was Barbara. Certainly, she was the nastiest church member I've ever had over the course of the last 23 years, right? And it's, I'm not going to go into all, I'm not going to go into all the bloody details. (laughs) Yeah. Don't believe me. Kurt's an angel (laughs) compared to Barbara. And, uh, she actually ended up uh, dying in a very tragic way. Uh, it was an accident. She she took a fall and hit her head on the fireplace. And um, whenever I got the news, there wasn't a whole whole lot of sadness in my soul, <laughs> uh, right? I, but it wasn't that I was like, yeah, right. And then what do you do when you get invited to help with her funeral? <laughs> right? Uh, you do what you're supposed to do and you do the right thing, right? Well, David's enemy, in essence, uh, dies. And uh, David has been anointed king for about 30 years. And he has been playing this not waiting game, but running game from Saul for 30 years. And what does a person do when the person who's been trying to kill you for 30 years dies? Well, David, at his best, he writes a song. And um, maybe that is a challenge for all of us, not only dealing with our enemies that are alive, but even our enemies when they die, that it was a way to love them we consider them with some affection to the point that we are able to sing a song about them. So let's pray. As uh, I'm going to read through this song that uh, David writes for both uh, Jonathan and Saul. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. <clears throat> Tell it. Not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields. For there the shield of the mighty was despised, and the shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, 
the sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan in life were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than angels, and they were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lays... Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. And so, God, as we open uh, your word together today... Lord, I pray that this heart of David, um, both towards the one that he loved in Jonathan and the one that tried to take his life in Saul, Lord, that you will so form and shape us in your grace and that you will secure us so much in who we are that even on the days that our enemies fall, we can mourn. And we can lament and be sad because we know above all, you are God and you are good. Lord, do something in us today as we open your word together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is an amazing thing for David to be able to look at Saul and see that there was conflict. There was some good in there. There was a lot of evil in there. Sort of like David, right? (laughs) I really want to commend you all for hanging with us, hanging with us steady. I think what we're engaging in really is going to begin to pay off now. We've got enough behind us that we really can dig into it, experience it, see what's going to happen. Events are going to start occurring much, much quicker now. The big events for David, the conquest of Jerusalem, the attempt to build the temple, becoming undisputed king, Bathsheba, all of this is, is going to come in, in quick order. And it's almost, I think, like real life that the dominoes start to fall, right? Is life moving quicker or slower for you now? Yeah, it goes a lot, lot quicker. And choices that you made years ago are having effect on your life now. And in David's case, his decision to side with the Philistines is going to continue to haunt him. There are several points in which God can, well, God attempts to stop the domino. And you'll see David struggle at those moments. And I pray that all of us can sort of sort of watch what's happening to him and learn both what he did well and sort of what he got trapped in. But let's look at chapter 2. David is now going to begin the process of becoming the king of the whole country. After this, David asked the Lord, should I move back to Judah? Remember, he's been in Ziglag, which is a sort of satellite town for one of the Philistines. He's been raiding, still serving the Philistines, but now he's going to 
And we're not sure if he goes back with her blessing or if he just sort of goes rogue, but he's going to return to his territory. And the Lord said, yes. Then David asked, which town should I go to? And the Lord replied, Hebron. Hebron is the capital of his tribal territory of Judah. It's the original inheritance of the man named Caleb. Remember, Caleb was a foreigner. Uh, his name means dog. Uh, it's probably not his real name. It's what they gave him that name, other Israelites. But he had joined the Israelites. He was the faithful spy. And so he gets grafted in to the tribe of Judah. So it's, it's well known. And it'll be David's base of operations for the next seven years. David's wives were Hinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, remember the guy named Fool, from Carmel. So David and his wives and his men and their families all moved to Judah, and they settled near the town of Hebron. Then Judah's leaders came to David and crowned him king over the tribe of Judah. So remember, there are 12 tribes in Israel. David is king now of one. When David heard that the men of Jabesh-Gilead had buried Saul, he sent them this message. Remember, these were the men who stole Saul's body back from the walls of Beit Shan, and then they mourned for him. So kind of loyalists to Saul. David sends this message. May the Lord bless you for being so loyal to your king and giving him a decent burial. I myself was on the way to do it, but you got there. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't say that. Um, verse 6. May the Lord be loyal to you in return and reward you for, with unfailing love. And I, too, will reward you for what you have done. Now that Saul is dead, I ask you to be my strong and loyal subjects like the king of Judah like the people of Judah, who have anointed me to be their new king. And they said, <laughs> what do you think they said? I love it. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you can go pound sand, buddy. Uh, you just, I appreciate the Hallmark card, but no, 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 no. Verse 8, and this is one of those first dominoes to fall. At a time in which... Israel has been defeated by the Philistines. Remember their best farmland in the Jezreel Valley has been taken from them. They are broken. And now, to start it all off, they're going to have a civil war with each other. They're not going to fight the Philistines. They're going to fight each other. We really get the sense that the Philistines are assuming David is their man, and that David is sort of the, the traitor government that's going to administer the territories for them. So maybe on the half of the Israelites, the northerners, they think this is rebellion, that they're fighting David. But it's, it's complex. Verse 8. But Abner, son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had already gone to Manahiam with Saul's sons Ishbosheth. So two new characters we need to 
get a piece together. Um, I'll do the second because it's, it's fun. <laughs> so one of Saul's sons who has survived, must have been much younger, was a man named Ishbosheth. Now we wonder about the authorship of Samuel. We think Samuel did write a lot of this, but obviously at this point Samuel is dead. But whoever did this had a great, great sense of humor. And you see it in names, right? The man named Fool lost his wife to David. That's funny for them. So Ishbosheth would make everybody laugh. This is not his real name. His real name, we know from genealogies, is Ishbaal. So Ish, man, um, Baal, the, the other god. So the writer of Samuel doesn't want to say the name Baal. It's insulting. It's another god. So they use the word Bosheth, which is good because it's a dirty word. If you look it up in Strong's Accordance, which is like the weakest dictionary you'll ever find, they'll say shame. But it's crap. It's, it's the S word. So they're calling this guy crap man or shit dude, um, which is really funny if you think about it. Um, they do this several times. Um, Mephibosheth, his brother, is the same kind of thing. Uh, they're, they're replacing the ball element with Bosheth. So now you learned a dirty word from the Bible. There you go. Uh, they kind of tell you that, uh, you know, Ishbosheth is not going to get very far in this world. He's kind of a, a pardon the phrase, turd. <laughs> anyway, um, see what I mean? There, there's humor in this. Uh, so. They, everybody says, oh, I'm going to use biblical names for my child. I'm like, just run it past me. I, I promise you, you really need to know the context to the, some of these things before you start running around with Caleb and Ishbosheth. But yeah, yeah, Delilah, that's, that's a really, really raunchy one. But Israelites are uh, like politicians. Um, you, you keep it in the family. And so Steve and I were yeah. talking yesterday. Abner. Yeah, so Abner, um, I mean, you're just going to see the, the, the conflict uh, continue to ramp up. Abner is Saul's first cousin. And um, you think back on what we have been wrestling with, uh, with this conflict with, between David and Saul. Well, going back to songs, what were the songs being sung about David? Yeah, Saul has killed his thousands. David, like he was a he was a national hero, right? Saul is dead. The one who has killed ten thousand that would be the natural person to feel fill this leadership vacuum, right? Until you become a traitor. And so you think about David's life, and maybe, maybe I don't know, there's no telling what our general perceptions of David are, but you think, well, man, he just was like this strong, amazing leader that just did God's will, and, and his life was filled with hardship. And there was this transition where one, could, one would think that his hardship would begin to 
decrease, right? Because Saul is dead. But because he made the choice, he thought he had no other choice than to go and ally himself with the Philistines. No other choice. And that is why then Abner, Saul's first cousin, the commander of the army, is going to start giving him all sorts of fits. Not going to last for long, but it's just one, it's just kind of like Kurt said, it's the first domino that starts to fall in this conflict that he has with the other tribes. Judah, he seems to, to be a hero there, but not the rest of the country. And so kind of keep all that in the back of your mind. And so look at a little of the geography here. Verse 9. There he proclaimed Ishbosheth. So you really have Abner, who is the commander of the army, whatever's left of it. And he is proclaiming, um, you know, dirty bird here, a king of Gilead, Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, and the land of Ashurites and the rest of Israel. So it's almost like 80% of the country is deciding against David. And in terms of really good real estate, Ephraim, uh, Jezreel, Gilead are far more uh, prosperous, far more productive in terms of uh, agricultural produce. So David doesn't start with much in his hand. Verse 10, Ishbosheth was 40 years old when he became king and he ruled from Mahayim for two years. Meanwhile, the tribe of Judah remained loyal to David. David made Hebron his capital and he ruled as king of Judah for seven and a half years. Verse 12, one day Abner led some of Ishbosheth's troops from Mahayim to Gibeon. At the same time, Joab, son of Zeruiah, led David's troops from Hebron. You need to underline this Joab, son of Zeruiah. He is going to be probably next to David, the most important character that we deal with in 2 Samuel. Like Abner, he is David's commander of the mercenary force. He is David's cousin. And he is David's hitman. He is one of the most violent, brutal men of the Old Testament. And we're talking about the Old Testament. Uh, he is vicious, but he is loyal to David. He can sort of keep this 600-man mercenary force that David's had from uh, his tribal affiliation to the criminals that he recruited that were trained by the Philistines. So they're tough, but they want to be paid. Remember, they were ready to kill David a couple chapters ago. So Joab can keep his thumb on them. But Joab is that sin that David keeps in his life that's useful in a time of crisis. You think you can control it? But the toll it takes in your life at the end is more than you ever thought you were paying. It's sort of like uh, paying interest on a debt. You know, you, you, you pay, you pay, and you don't ever get the debt down. This is Joab. And if there's a, a place today to really begin to, to ponder and think, what is, what is our Joab in life? What is that sin that we push away, but we keep it within hand's distance. 
that coping mechanism, that skill, or maybe even that partner, that friend that can do the dirty thing that we don't want to do. Joab is always going to kill David's enemies. And David can always say, my hands are clean. I don't know what you're talking about. God again and again will tell David, get rid of this guy. You're the king. You're in charge. Get rid of him. And David won't do it until, do you remember? When does David actually tell somebody to get rid of Joab? His deathbed. He knew all along how dangerous this was and how much of a threat that Joab would be to Solomon and, and everyone that comes after. So we're all men. We're all living in crazy times, stressful situations, making a living in an industry that the world wants to go away. Uh, there are lots of ways that we cope with things. And I think God tells the story of Joab to warn us um, you can't have a pet sin. You can't. It will eat you alive. To put an explanation on this point, Jonathan will one day, or uh, uh, Joab will one day kill David's son, Absalom. Kill his own son. And David can and will not do anything about it. Because he has to keep this sin nearby so that if his enemies get out of hand, David has his go-to hitman. So we'll follow this story in painful detail. Yeah, so if you'll just go back up to the beginning of chapter 2 um, and just underline that that uh, this uh, quote, David inquired of the Lord. Inquired of the Lord. Now we've gone through some of these. That phrase is used ten times in the Old Testament. I don't think it's used anywhere in the New Testament. Ten times in the Old Testament. Six of those are David. After this moment, David inquires of the Lord one more time. And he's got 40 years of life left to live. And it's like, it's this choice between inquiring of the Lord and keeping this favorite sin in Joab around. What's going to be more beneficial? And David makes this choice, right? That I need Joab. Joab is the one, just to kind of give you some, some, some more context, Joab is the one that kills Uriah, Bathsheba's wife. Husband. Sorry, husband. <laughs> it's, it's very modern of you, inclusive, but Sorry. anyway. <laughs> <Sorry>. Yeah. <laughs> So that, that this is this is the kind of kind of guy he is, and uh, I mean it does it does it does bear some reflection when we find ourselves tempted not to inquire of the Lord when we're trying to make choices. What do we do? Try to substitute, and at what cost? Something to ponder. Well, continuing on in this early stage, the troops from both sides meet. At the pool of Gibeon, the two groups sat down facing each other on the opposite sides of the pool. Then Abner suggested to Joab, let's have a few of our warriors put on an exhibition of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Okay, this, this is nice. This is what we see in the movies, right? What's the difference between David's forces and Abner's forces? 
mercenaries. Yeah, full-time soldiers versus recruited farmers. So of course, Abner wants to prove to Joab here, my men are as good as yours. They may not train all the time, they may not have been traitors to the Philistines, but we can fight. So imagine how this is gonna go down in your mind. This is supposed to be what kind of combat? So, yeah, so look at the next. All right, Joab agrees. So 12 men were chosen from each side to fight against each other. Each one grabbed his opponents by the hair and thrust his sword into the other side till all of them were dead. What? <laughs> I thought we were arm wrestling. <laughs> you grab me by the hair and stab me and you kill everybody? What? Um, is there bad blood between these two armies that are the, the same question? Or No, okay. Uh, this is not going to be a, uh, a brothers working out their arguments. There is deep, deep-seated animosity. And things really spiral out of control. Uh, the place has been known ever since as the field of swords. The two armies began to fight each other. And by the end of the day, Abner and the men of Israel had been defeated by the forces of David. So I don't think that was ever really in doubt. Man for man, the Israelites cannot match this force of 600. And perhaps David has more now from tribes' uh, support in Judah. But the aftermath in the battle is going to set up a, a painful scenario for us. Verse 18, Joab, and it's, it, it's just sad for a second. Look, look at his name. So you have J-O, which is a shortened version of the name of God. So we, J's are really wise in Hebrew. So it's, it's Ya'av. So his name means Yahweh is father. And he is the furthest from that. But he has two brothers, Abishai and Ashahel. They were the three sons of Zeruiah. They were among David's forces that day. Ashahel could run like a deer, and he began to chase Abner. He was relentless and single-minded in his pursuit. When Abner looked back and saw him coming, he called out, Is that you, Ashahel? Yes, it is, he replied. Go fight someone else. <laughs> this, I, I love the reality of this, right? It's not, this day I shall smite you in the name of the Lord. Go pick on somebody else. What's wrong with you? And it's not that Abner is particularly afraid of the youngest brother. It's like the bullies in town, right? You don't want to fight the youngest brother of the bully because what are you afraid of? His older brothers. Joab already has the reputation that we know uh, he, he practices with David. And so Abner, even though he's the commander of the army, he doesn't want to mess. He doesn't want to have a blood feud. One thing to remember biblically, and really it's true of all Semitic people, which would include Arabs and Jews today, they have blood feuds like nobody's business. You kill one of their clan, and they will remember it forever. I mean, we're still, but this weekend, September 11th, dealing with sort of that Semitic blood curse thing. They, they hate as a national sport. Uh, one of the reasons God institutes an eye for an eye in the Old Testament was to control this, right? Just because somebody has hurt you, 
let's have reciprocal justice. Let's not have this, I'm gonna wipe your entire family out. Uh, but you, you see it rear its ugly head here. Abner warned, go fight somebody else. Take on one of the younger men and strip him of his weapons. Mashael refused and kept right on chasing Abner. Again, Abner shouted at him, Get away from here. I will never be able to face your brother Joab if I kill you. Mashael would not give up. So Abner thrust the butt end of his spear through Mashael's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. He stumbled to the ground and died there. And everyone who came by and stopped, and stooped, stood there, and they saw Ashael lying there. So Abner tries not to kill him. I don't know how exactly this goes down if Ashael is running so fast and Abner was trying just to push him away, but obviously it, it goes it goes bad. A little bit, a little bit. You really get the sense that this youngest brother is trying to prove himself. He's he's more zealous. He's obviously running after the army commander. Uh, he's in over his head. But Abner knows I, I don't want Joab coming down on me. So the seeds are sown here. From what we know of Joab, what do you think he's going to do about this? He's going to kill him. Uh, he's going to kill him no matter what. So let me have you put, if it's okay, your thumb on this, and we're going to jump ahead a little bit just to sort of give you the, the full uh, sweep of it. Abner will lose this battle, and it's, it's really lopsided. The, the losses for Joab are 19 men, whereas the Bible tells us 360 of Abner's men were killed. So again, we're just mis mismatched in terms of quality of soldiers. <clears throat> Abner goes home, and he is really the kind of the de facto ruler of the north. He gets in trouble with one of Saul's former concubines. I think Ishbosheth, by his name, is a puppet. But he gets really upset when Abner is caught with one of the king's concubines. So Abner says, what am I, a Judean dog? You know, literally a Judean Caleb, that you treat me like this? I don't need this. David will treat me better. So Abner decides to go and make a peace treaty with David, that he will bring all of Israel into David's camp. This is a huge boon. The civil war right now has just cost little under 400 people. Abner has the pull as a Saul relative, as the commander of the armies, to make this happen. And so he goes and meets with David. And they agree that David will be king and that there should be no more war between Israelite and Judean. There's only one problem. And who is that? Joab. So let me take you to the uh, latter half of chapter 3. What verse, Kurt? Uh, 
Let's pick up in verse 20. We'll get a little David's. Oh, we're going to run out of time. Yeah, let, let me stop there. Uh, try to do this quick, but David actually promises safe passage to Abner. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a peace conference. We have the white flags up. Nobody's going to kill each other. David doesn't first tell Joab that Abner's there. When Joab finds it, finds out, he orchestrates this little scenario to get back at Abner and then pulls him aside and kills him. And we'll look at David's response to all this. Uh, David has a chance now to get rid of this sin, to stop it. Um, the civil war now will continue because what are the people going to say? David betrayed us at Gilboa. We sent our king or our uh, general to negotiate with him, and he was assassinated. We cannot trust David. And David's like, what about, I, I, I didn't do it. It was not me. It was Abner. I don't like that guy. God curse Abner. I never liked the guy anyway. Joab, well, you mean? Joab, yeah, yeah. Um, he's still the commander of my army. So, anyway. So, your pet sin, it will ruin the good things in your life. It will claim your children, whether it's alcohol, pornography, a friendship that you know that you should not have, uh, an emotional affair, an affair. I mean, we could get really, really clear very quickly. These things are out there. And if they cause David to stumble, they can do the same thing for us. So let's look in those hard places. What do I keep at arm's length, but within reach, to make life livable, to get me through the hard times? And is it a Joab? We got to get rid of it. Not on our deathbed. The price will be too high on that day. David can do it right now, but he won't. Let's pray. Father God, we're humbled and slightly horrified to see how violent and terrible this world that you spoke to really was. But then we're reminded, Lord, that a lot of our world is no different. Afghanistan today looks a lot like Judah did back in 1000 BC. Help us today to know that the battles are still real for our souls, for our families, for our jobs, for our companies. You call us to learn how to manage all of this. You wait and ask that we inquire of you. You have the wisdom. You have the teaching, the love, the direction that we need to get through it. You can help us discern this is good, this is not good. So may we learn from David's inaction here today. Father God, you're not going to do it for us, but you want to do it with us. So help us to learn to talk to you. Help us, before we pick up that phone, to have that difficult conversation, to stop have a prayer with you to open our scripture, to remember David again. 
Help us when we're pushed to our edge and we feel ourselves sliding back into old behavior. May we stop and pray. Look in the mirror and ask, am I going to be like Saul or am I going to be like David on his best day? We know that this is the place that you really want us to win our battles. There are always going to be evil people. There's always going to be evil choices. And they seem like they're the only choice. But we know the truth today. You always give us the righteous choice. You always give us the good choice. The price may be high. It may be hard. But it is so less than what sin will claim for us on our last day. Help us to be true disciples of Christ, true bearers of light, as we battle the good and the bad within us. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.